when I was little, um, I used to be really good at hiding. Like I was the hide and seek champion of my neighborhood. Um, I could literally stand still for hours in the same place. And, uh, and I remember being a little kid and like, like my dad sticking me up in this very top part of, a of our garage and these shelves and literally in plain sight. I mean, I'm just sitting there like with a line of boxes and all I did is just, just huddle up and just didn't move. And literally like my friends looked for me for hours and I just, just didn't move. And, uh, I don't know. It's in my DNA, I guess. As a kid, I used to do it all the time. Like we'd go to, we'd go to, um, like malls or stores or whatever. And I'd like tuck up under the clothes, you know, the little circular clothes racks. And, uh, and, and my parents would, would, you know, call for me. They'd bribe me. We'll give you cookies. You know what I mean? <laughs> whatever. And, um, uh, and I just, I wouldn't come out and, uh, I don't, I don't know. It's just, uh, I guess it's something in my DNA. I just wasn't, I was defiant, I guess, from the beginning. Um, but <clears throat> I'm paying for it now. Um, because my two-year-old son, uh, <laughs> we found out that he's the exact same way. And, uh, um, thankfully we have not experienced that like in a public place yet, but, um, we noticed that he likes to go, you know, into a closet or into, you know, under his bed or, or just somewhere that he can't be found. And we'll call him, you know, Liam, come here, we'll give you cookies. Right. And that mug is not coming out. He won't say a word. And I'm like, golly. Would you just pass that stuff down, you know? Um, but he, he's not gonna, he's not gonna come out, whatever the experience is. And, and I was thinking about that, um, this, uh, this week and, and, and I, God just kind of like talked to me, um, that like, we're like that. We're, we're a lot like that. Um, my experience, uh, from, from church has been somewhat, um, like that, like for years, as I grew up going to church and, and, and singing songs and, you know, Sunday school and small groups and, and studying the Bible, I went to a, a Christian school. Uh, so, I mean, I, I had it all over the place and, and I just felt like there was something missing. Like there, there's something not there that, that I'm, I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what it was, but I, I just, for years, it was like there was something missing um, and, and honestly, it's, it's almost like, like we're, we're all hiding and God's calling for us to come out, like to come out and experience him in a real fresh, powerful way. God is calling our name kind of like the way that he did in Genesis when Adam and Eve first sinned, they're in the garden and they're hiding and, and he calls out to us, but yet we're all have this sense of like, I can't come out. I don't want God to see me this way. I don't want to, to be known by my sin. I don't want to be identified by how, how messed up I am because I know who I am and I know because I live with myself day in and day out and I see all the things that I do. And it's like, it's like God is calling to us to step out into this freedom that he has for us. And I grew up in this for years and years feeling like something's not right, like God's calling us to come out, but yet I just can't. I'm stuck. And, and, and I don't, I, I, I just started going on this journey. Like we know we should go. 
we know that we need to step out into something. I don't even know what it is. God's calling us, but for whatever reason, there's something that keeps us right where we are. And so what we resolve ourselves to is going through the motions. We come to church. We dress up. We say, hey, man, how's it going? Hey, God's good, isn't he? Man, praise God. God's good. How, how are you doing? Man, I'm great. How's your friend? Man, my family's great. Man, everything's good. Life's good. Man, I've had some things, you know, whatever. All the while, you're sitting in the back of your mind going, dude, I really could smoke crack right now. Like, literally. Like, in the back of your mind, you're literally thinking, I could totally go do this and totally screw myself up or forget this, man. I don't know. Maybe I might, might not even last this week. I might just just walk off, like call it a day, I'm done. Hey, man, but God's good. Praise God, I'm good. And we wear this hiding place, and we walk around in it for days and weeks and months and years, all the while knowing that there's something else going on. Um, The people of Israel found themselves in a, a very similar predicament. Um, and I, I don't have time to totally unpack like all the backstory and all this kind of stuff, but um, Israel was in the same place. And, and you'll find this in Isaiah uh, chapter 29, um, verse 13 and 14. The prophet Isaiah, um, God has just given him this words, uh, these words to share with, uh, with the people of Israel. And it says this, Isaiah said to the people of Israel, the Lord says... These people come near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They honor honor me with their mouth and their lips. They give me a lip service. Praise Jesus. We love God. God's good. Things are going okay. We're living in this, in this hiding place that we have created for ourselves, but their hearts are far from me. And I don't know about you, but I don't want my heart to be far from God. But yet there's still something that keeps me from, from giving him everything that I have. You see, that's, religiosity defined. That's what it means to be religious, is to adhere to a certain set of rules without any actual interchange. Acknowledge Jesus with your lips and with your, with your mouth and even by way of the things that you do. But yet, something in the inside hasn't switched over. That's what religious activity is. And get this, this part blew me away. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. You see, we're good. Humanity is good at creating that. We like systems, right? They're easy to define. Boxes are easy to live in because you know where, the, where the, the, the lines are, right? It's easy to live within a, a certain set of rules and, and, and regulations. And see, it says the people of Israel had made their worship of God a set of rules taught by men. 
See, unfortunately, um, that's, that's where I feel like that's the, uh, the perception of what church is today. That man, you, hey, if you don't get cleaned up and if you don't live a certain way and, and if you don't shake hands and say God's good and everything's okay, then, then they're not going to welcome you into that place. Um, ever heard church is a bunch of hypocrites? That's why I don't go, right? That's the common excuse. I don't, I don't go to church because church is a bunch of hypocrites. And my answer to that is always 100%. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, I can go to Walmart and find hypocrites. I can, I can go anywhere and, and, and find people who say one thing and, and do another. But, but what saddened God's heart and what, what was breaking him was that they were doing things in the name of God, in an institution developed and instructed by men, yet their hearts were not given fully over to God. Do we say, do, and know all the right things? Do we even fear God because of what the church has taught us, yet... It's all because of a doctrine that has been taught to us by man. We just do it just because that's what my parents told me to do, and that's what their grandparents said, and that's what their great-grandparents said, so that's just what we do. Is our commitment to God simply an idea or a concept, not a spirit-imparted awareness that transforms our hearts and our minds? And I get this, are we using worship in religion as a system to follow so that we can actually avoid coming face-to-face with God? Do we use religion and worship to be able to control God and to set limits on God? so that we don't get pushed too far outside what we know is comfortable. You see, we have a certain context in which we think that God works, and and that's our comfort zone. And as long as God operates in that comfort zone, praise God, praise Jesus, everything's good. But when God starts working outside of that comfort zone, when he starts pushing us to get uncomfortable, we have a tendency to, to, to shy away from that and to back up. And so my question is, do you use, do we use our religion as a way to avoid coming into contact with the true, real God of creation? And that, that wrecked me this week. <laughs> like, like in how I study for my messages in, in why I'm going downtown, in, in why I call myself a pastor. Like, literally, I had to get on my face, like, for days to, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, to, um, to just ask God, Lord, whatever confines I have put you in, just please help me to break those. Help me, excuse me, not me to break those, because once again, that's a, uh, a worship of me made up by rules taught by men. Help me to lay down and die to that so that you can show me who you really are. I want that today. Like right now, I want to see God for who he is. 
God said this to me just last night. Do not settle for only a doctrinal statement about God's power. But I need to press in relentlessly through faith into a life-altering experience of God's power. Don't settle for just a statement about it or just a knowledge about God's power that you read about in Scripture. Experience it for yourself. See him the way that he really is. And see, I love this because in in verse 14, right after 13 in, in, in Isaiah 29, God says, because the people did this, all right, get to, like, I'm like, okay, he's getting ready to, to blow there. He's going to smash him. That's what God does, right? When people sin, he, he throws the lightning bolt. And, uh, and so in verse 14, he says, therefore, once more, I will astound these people. In, in the, the ESV, it says, again, I will do wonderful things with Israel. I'll do wonderful things with these people. Wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish and the intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. The ESV says the discernment of the discerning men shall be hidden. So what does God want to do when we get into this place where we're confining him by a set of rules that, that we follow and, and, and we define him by our context of comfortableness it says he's going to astound us with wonder upon wonder. What we think is wise, it's going to go away. <laughs> what, what we think is intelligent, is discerning, it's going to be crushed in the presence of the provision and the wisdom and the power of seeing God face to face. God didn't leave us where we were at so that we would squander ourselves in our own wisdom. He says, I'm going to astound Israel with wonder upon wonder. Guess who that is? It's Jesus. God says, I'm going to flip the script. And, and these, these rules that the people of Israel have started worshiping, and they created these things that are so sacred in their mind that literally if they, they misstep, then then that's it. It's over. They're going straight to hell. It's not a message of God's love. It's a message of God's judgment. So what God said is, guess what? I'll send my son. He'll live perfectly. And guess what? He'll take the judgment away for those who say yes to him. 100% of God's judgment was fulfilled in the message and the life of Jesus. So what's the answer? How do we come to terms with this? The answer is more of God's presence. It's we need more God to be available to us. So what did he do to Israel? He sent Jesus. He sent literally a physical flesh embodiment of the message that God was trying to communicate to his people. He turned conventional wisdom up on its end because of the lifestyle that Jesus led. And guess what? The people of that day encountered the God of creation face to face because they had started worshiping the rules. And God said, nope, here's the rule. Love me, love your neighbor. I'll give you grace upon grace. <laughs> and what I've realized this week is, is that 
if we seek to satisfy a theological curiosity about God, if that's why we are a Christian and that's why we're trying to, to, to follow God, to, to, to get knowledge and to get understanding, which is not wrong, okay? Don't, don't hear me say, don't study, don't know scripture. We have to have wisdom. We have to have that power. And I'll explain why and where that comes from in just a minute. But, but once we become satisfied with our level of understanding, like once we go to the place where we're, we think we're quote unquote fully trained, like I got this, I understand who God is and what happens. What we do is we put it in neutral and we start coasting. Our spiritual life begins to, to slow down, and some of us even stop short of an experience that God is drawing each and every one of us into. God wants to meet each and every one of us face to face today. We can literally experience him in a new and fresh way, a firsthand face-to-face encounter with God, and that's what we have to have in order to, for our life to become something that we can't do on our own. Think about this. One of the best examples that I've found in Scripture is Paul. Paul was a persecutor of the church. He killed Christians for a living. He was the modern-day ISIS. Doesn't that put a different spin on how we look at terrorism? Paul was literally sent in to infiltrate the communities because he was a Jew and bind them and take them and kill people who said they were Christians. That was his job. It says in Philippians 3, it says that Paul's kind of talking about himself in this this scripture. It's it's not going to be up there. Um, but it says, I, I'm, I was circumcised on the eighth day, which was like a big deal following the rules um, of the people of Israel. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, which is another big deal. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law. I'm a Pharisee, which to us, Pharisee is a bad word. Okay. In that day, if you were a Pharisee, that was a really big deal. That meant like you followed all the rules, like to the best of your ability. And, and like you hardly ever sin ever. And if you did it, it was definitely not a big sin at all. And, uh, and it says, so, so as to the law, I was a Pharisee as to zeal, as to my commitment to the God, uh, to God, I persecuted the church. I was a persecutor of his church. And as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. So get this, Paul, as a persecutor of the church, as a Pharisee, literally believed that he walked through this life perfect, that he, that he did everything all the way, all the rules, uh, he did everything right. The way that, that, that the Old Testament rules described it, Paul was perfect. He did everything completely right. And so we look in Acts chapter 9, and we find him on the way to Damascus. He's literally on a road heading to the town of Damascus, planning on killing Christians. He has letters from the Jewish um, system of uh, the religious heads in Jerusalem to go to Damascus and hand these letters over to the, the temple leaders there, their pastors, and, and then their pastors would say, yep, that's good. You do whatever you need to do. And so his job was to round up all of the people who claimed Jesus as the Savior and take them back to Jerusalem and kill them. That's what he was on his way to do. 
And guess what? He believed that he was doing it in the name of God. A Pharisee of Pharisees, a a religious leader of the law, he did it all right in the name of God. He was doing this because he was obedient to the rules. And anything that obstructed the rules, i.e. Jesus' message, then he had to squash it. So he's on his way to Damascus. And literally, this blinding light drops in. There's two guys with him. They hear words, but they don't see anything. Literally, they hear Jesus Christ saying, Paul, Saul at that time, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus Christ. You're killing my people. You're killing the very message that the God that you say you follow is trying to send. Could you, could you imagine like being a terrorist, like, like, like going after something so strong that you believe is right, and then all of a sudden encountering God face to face and realize everything that you've done and everything that you've worked for and everything that you've lived up to at that moment has completely been wrecked. Paul literally went from going to town to kill them to championing the cause of Christ in three days. It was an instantaneous face-to-face thing. And, and, And what God said to me as I thought about that is literally there is no amount of religious instruction there is no amount of, of religious mantras that we can quote. There's not enough scripture that we can memorize. We can have all the forms of religiosity that we want to, but nothing is going to change in our life until we meet God face to face. Paul was literally heading one direction and then stopped and turned and went the other. If you keep reading on in Acts, just just a a little while later, Paul is being let out of a window in Damascus, in the, the the city wall of Damascus, because he's being persecuted. They're trying to kill him. So he went to Damascus to bind, to bind up the followers of Jesus and take them to Jerusalem to be killed. And then now he is being persecuted for the very person that he was trying to persecute. That blows my mind. Like that takes a major shift, all right? My, my following of Jesus in the way that I look at it, like I wasn't trying to persecute Christians, you know what I mean? But, but, but literally, this was such a major shift in Paul's thinking. And that's what we need. We don't need religious doctrine. We need an experience to complement our understanding of Scripture. Because you see, Jesus doesn't contradict his word. He fulfills it. And that's what he came to do. And that's what he came to do with each and every one of us. Fast forward just a few years, and Paul's writing a letter in prison to a group of people in a town called Corinth. He's in prison in Rome writing, penning these words. 
He helped start the church of Corinth. The people in Corinth celebrated human achievement. They loved wisdom. They loved people who could get up and speak well. Um, uh, Really good speeches were a type of their entertainment. They loved to hear people get up and defend things and and debate and to discuss, and and they didn't have, you know, Facebook. So uh, people talking face-to-face was kind of their thing. So um, the ability for somebody to speak well was was part of their entertainment. And and so what message does Paul bring to these people? It, It says in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom. Get this, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is literally going to take us seeing Jesus face to face for us to stop being who we are in our humanity. And I I love that the message Paul brought there wasn't eloquent, it wasn't wise, it was just a simple message. I preach the cross of Jesus crucified. A a few verses later, it says this, since um, it says, for the Jews demand a sign and the Greeks seek wisdom. Get this, but we preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jew and Greek, Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. You see, when Jesus was dying on the cross, for us, he literally took all of God's judgment and all of the sin that had ever been done and that is ever going to be done past, present, and future on himself. He was our perfect sacrifice so that we wouldn't have to be. And it it says, if you read in the Gospels, that when Jesus breathed his last breath on this earth as a human and died, there's a place in in the temple called the Holy of Holies. It was where God's presence was known to be. The, uh, the, the religious leaders, the priests, could only go in there once a year. And the reason they went in there to, was to atone for everybody's sin. And that curtain that separated the Holy of Holies, the place where God's symbolic presence lied in the temple, when Jesus breathed his last breath, it says the veil ripped in two. Literally, God's presence was released 
from the holy of holies because God came down in physical form, lived a perfect sinless life, and then guess what? He released his Holy Spirit to roam this earth and to be in each and every one of us. You know what blows my mind? As I was thinking about this, this week, now I have no proof for this, okay? So this is Brent International Version right now. But I would say probably 99.9% true. You know what the priest did after that veil was torn? They put another one back up. have proof for that but I know the Jewish system and I believe that what God had intended for his spirit to run free in the hearts and minds and very presence of every single human on the face of this earth who would accept his son the religious system of that day put another veil back up And what God said to me as I was thinking through this is that's what we do. We have a veil on our hearts. God is calling to each and every one of us to come out of the veil. The presence is already here. We can accept the Spirit. We can, we can have full freedom in Jesus Christ. We can literally experience Him face to face. And yet we put a veil on our heart. And you know what the veil is? Self. Self-righteousness. Self-sufficiency selfishness I think that somehow because of my religious activity that I bring something to God that's worthy of anything I think that I on my own power can stand up here and preach a message that's going to change your life I think that I can walk out these doors and go through my life and somehow lead it in such a way that is going to make sense that's the lie that Satan tells me Keep in the veil of self. Stay in that veil of self. You're sufficient. You can do it. Your religious activity, man, God will be pleased with that. That's good enough, right? Jesus Christ lived a perfect life so that the veil would be torn. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. So I'm telling you this morning, If you want to see God face to face, all it takes is completely believing 100% through the faith that God gives each and every one of us in the saving cross of Jesus Christ. The veil was torn. That's all. Every day, Jesus said, those who would follow me must die to their self. Take up their cross daily and follow me. 
That means that this is a continual sacrifice on my end because that veil keeps re-threading itself and it keeps sewing itself back up. And guess what? It's not going to take any kind of work that I can do to take the veil off. You know what I have to do? Just like Jesus Christ, I have to die. Are you willing to experience a death of yourself which is excruciating and painful so that just like Jesus, you can be resurrected into a new life in Him. Man, that is reality. That blew my mind. If you would, just bow your head and close your eyes, man. I I believe that God is setting people free in this place. Man, you might have been living under the veil. You might be living in self-sufficiency, trying to do this thing on your own. Jesus did not come for that. And I know that God wants to work. So if that's you this morning, this altar is open. Prayer warriors, come on up. Let's be, be, have, be ready to pray. And if God's breaking your heart this morning, if he wants to work in a new way this morning, I just pray that you get up out of your seat right now, right here, and come to the altar. This place is open. Don't let the veil be sewn back up anymore. pray that we would just in the spirit that God gives us his Holy Spirit let it go God I want to stand in freedom in this place Jesus God I proclaim that your spirit would just have free reign God that that the veil that wants to continue to come up, God, the lie that we believe that Satan feeds us, that we can be sufficient, God, on our own. I pray, Lord, that you would just break that down, Lord, that we would experience a death, God, of ourselves so that we can see your spirit move, Lord. God, I just pray that you would just move, Jesus. Father, I just pray that you would move in a real way, God.